What's up, Susan? Hello. Welcome to Summertime at Citizen. It's officially happening right now. Congratulations, you've made it. What this means is that we get to hang out with each other until, I don't know, midnight it seems like sometimes, in the back lawn right after this. And I'm very excited to beat some of you in Nine Square. It's going to be a blast. I'm very excited. Hey, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, it's in the New Testament. It's actually the first book of the New Testament. And uh, this is the book that we're going to be in when we go to camp in like, I don't know, 17 days, something like that. Uh, we're going to be diving into the, the life of Jesus and the story of Jesus and uh, what he said and what he did uh, here on planet Earth. And what he did matters to us today. Uh, who this guy Jesus is, I don't know what you believe about him. Uh, I don't know what you think about him. I don't know what you've heard about him. Uh, but what you think about him, uh, what you believe about who he is and what he came to do uh, matters to you. It matters to me. And it's uh, not just something that we learn. It's not just something that we say, this is great. I know more about Jesus. Uh, we believe that the knowledge of God uh, can directly transform our lives. And the presence of Christ in our lives through the Holy Spirit uh, flourishes when we're constantly in the Bible. When you're in the Bible, when you are listening to God's Spirit as he guides you through those pages, uh, you're growing as a Christian. And so uh, we're super excited to be in Matthew in, uh, at camp in just a few weeks. And we're learning all about the upside-down kingdom of God, uh, the things that Jesus said to, uh, uh, came to do and the things that he accomplished uh, didn't quite look like uh, the things people were expecting. Uh, it didn't quite look like or pan out the way certain people were hoping it to, uh, but it panned out exactly how God wanted it to. Uh, Jesus came. He completed every single thing that God wanted him to do, and it matters. It matters what we believe about him and what we think about him today. Today, we're going to be talking about a guy called John the Baptist, who is this radical dude who came to warn people and to uh, proclaim the good news of the gospel, but also to warn them that the judgment of God would be at hand. First of all, if it's your first time tonight in Citizens, welcome. Super glad that you've joined us. If you're a brand new sixth grader in the room, I promise we got a few sixth graders still in our kids' ministry coming in in the next few weeks. Um, but we value a few things, and I want you to hear these from my heart. We value a few things here. Number one, we value community. Uh, we believe community matters. We believe that uh, if you are living the Christian life all by yourself, it's really hard uh, to be growing, right? Because as iron sharpens iron, so, man, uh, so one person sharpens another person, right? Meaning that we need each other in community to help keep us on track, uh, to help keep us connected to God. So we value, number one, uh, community. Number two, we value learning, right? What I just talked about. We believe uh, that in the Bible, God reveals everything that we need for life and godliness, right? There's not one thing in this book, like the angels up in heaven, God up in heaven. They're not up there thinking, man, we really should have had an extra book in here. Yeah, I don't know. It was pretty good, but like we probably should have had one little footnote at the end of Revelation. No, we believe that the entire Bible is inspired by God and profitable for every single thing pertaining to life and godliness, which is why you'll see us up here every single week opening up the Bible because it's important. Uh, we don't want your life to be the same uh, today that it isn't going to be like in, in 10, 15 years. We want your life to be different. We want you to grow closer to God in the knowledge of God and to understand him. So we value community. Uh, we value learning, specifically learning about Jesus, and more than anything else, 
We value Jesus. We treasure him. We love him. This is why we sing. This is why we gather, right? We don't just come here to put on some lights and put on a show and to entertain you and give you a couple hours of entertainment. That is not what I'm here to do. That's not what any of your leaders are here to do. We are here because we love Christ. Every single leader in this room, they're not here to hang out with their friends. They're not here to just sit in the corner and hang out, right? This isn't some checkbox to put on their list and say, yeah, I serve in the church somewhere. Oh, yeah, I serve in youth. No, they are here, and I am here uh, because we love Jesus, and we want you to know about him. Uh, we love him. He's changed our lives and for the better, and we need you to know about him. We have people in the room who are praying for you, who uh, stay up and are uh, anxious some days, actively worried some days. Yes, plenty of them because they want you to know Christ, and these are the things we value. So if you're a brand new sixth grader, welcome. Buckle up. We're excited to have you. If you're a new person in the room, that's what we're about, and we're happy uh, that you are here. Okay, going back to Matthew chapter 3. Um, John the Baptist came uh, to herald the good news of the gospel, to speak about the good news of the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, um, but like uh, when you think of somebody kind of who looks a little different, maybe doesn't look like the most professional person, and they're just going up to anyone on the street and they're like yelling things at them or proclaiming things, uh, what would you typically think of that person, right? Right, uh, no judgment, but you might think this guy's a little crazy, right? If you're ever in Portland or another city and uh, you're walking downtown, you know, maybe your parents have advised you politely, um, if anyone who you don't know tries to talk to you, don't talk back, right? That's just the good news. Uh, that's just like a good rule of thumb to keep in mind. I, I, I have this funny story, like people, you know, I have a, a million things that people have said to me on the streets, either in New Jersey or Chicago or here, and I just can't say most of them. But my favorite thing that someone has ever told me once, this is by far the best, right? I was in Portland, so congratulations, we got that. Kind of most random interaction with a person that I didn't know. Uh, I'm standing outside of Whole Foods, or no, I'm leaving Whole Foods um, because I'm bougie and I can shop there. It's great. And um, yeah, I mean, come on. Why pay less than a million dollars for groceries? Come on. I mean, perfect. Um, so I'm walking out of Whole Foods in Portland for some reason. I don't know why. And there's a guy standing there, and he's looking me dead in the face. And I, you know, I'm pretty good at ignoring people, right? Okay. Um, welcome to Citizens Youth. I love you. But I'm good at ignoring people. And um, for whatever reason, I looked at this guy, and he looked at me, and I just, like, something captivated me about him. And I just kind of looked. And he goes up, and he says, the government, so off to a great start, blanketed statement, the government is putting trackers in our food, period, end of sentence. And I just stood there and I was like, I like stopped and I was like, I verbally said out loud, what? As if that was like the golden word he wanted someone to hear, right? He's been saying it all day. He's got the signs. He's like got the bench all to himself. And I was like, what? And then he was like about to give me a presentation. I went and I just like turned and walk away, right? Uh, so there's people all around just like saying things, right? And I didn't really care, and I don't actually think that's true. But anyways, all this to say, there are people proclaiming things that they believe is, are, are true. There are people calling out for a million different things, and you have to sift through a million different voices and understand and know the truth. And we see this guy here, John the Baptist, and he is responsible uh, for heralding the good news of the gospel. Uh, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. He's not making it up. He's not crafting it. He's not thinking of the best way to say it. He's just saying it. 
He's just saying it out as it is, inspired by God's Holy Spirit. And that's what our job is to do as well. We're called to herald. I'm not up here coming up with new content, really. I'm here to herald what has already been communicated in Scripture. And John the Baptist is a man who is uh, actually related to Jesus. He's a cousin of Jesus, and um, he is proclaiming all about Jesus Christ in these next few sentences. And um, we're calling this series Preparing the Way um, for a very specific reason you'll see here in a second. But Jesus is preparing his earthly ministry. He's about to start the, the adventure of a lifetime that will change the universe. He is about to change the world with the things he said and the things that he did. And he's beginning right here in Matthew chapter 3. So are you ready to listen to God's word today? All right. Are you ready? If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. If you're not there, say, wait. Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to start reading it. It says this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. This is what he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, The voice of one's crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist. And, uh, around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is John the Baptist, and uh, he's a pretty like cool-looking character. Look at this in verse 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Raise your hand if you've eaten a locust before. Raise your hand if you're not sure if you've eaten a locust before. You're like, it might have happened. Yeah, I guess that could be all of us. It's like, I don't know what they look like. Uh, locusts and honey, this was a common diet of people who lived in the desert. All right? Now, this guy wasn't, like, quite connected to society in the most normal sense, even for back in the ancient world. Uh, he lived in the desert proclaiming the good news of the gospel for whoever would listen to him. And actually, people came from the city to the wilderness uh, to hear John preach, it looks like in this passage. That robe that he's wearing, it would have been, one, it's a symbolic that he, he doesn't have a lot of money, uh, but it's definitely made for rugged environments. And the leather belt was just to kind of keep whatever he had with him. And so this guy was just like, if you saw him walk down the street, you're like, whoa, this is a cool looking guy. And he smells like honey and bugs. So this is kind of what his vibe's like. And so John's one simple message is this. This is all we see uh, about his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is our first point tonight. The kingdom of heaven requires repentance. The kingdom of heaven requires repentance. Uh, to repent from something means to completely change your mind, to completely turn uh, away. You're walking down one path and you think, I don't really want this anymore, and you change your mind. That's what repentance is. And the one message, I imagine if he uh, had one back in the day, John would have one of these, and all he's responsible for doing in that moment, he's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, I'll stop. People look really uncomfortable. Right, and you see anyone with a bullhorn on the street, and you're like, I don't want to talk to that person. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God requires repentance. And we're going to see this throughout the rest of this uh, passage here. It's a common thread that John is speaking. 
this guy's pretty radical looking. Okay, so he eats locusts and honey. Again, this is a common diet for someone who lives, again, in the middle of nowhere and who's kind of a crazy looking guy. But his appearance, his diet, his message all point to one thing. Turn away. Turn away from what? Turn away from the things that aren't of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is coming. Because someone is coming uh, to usher in the kingdom of God. So we have to turn from the things that would turn us away from the one who's ushering in the kingdom. Repent. Change your mind about things of sinfulness. Change your mind about your selfishness, about your greed, about your lust, about your pride. Change your mind about those things because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God um, is something that we're talking about all camp. And I'm excited you're going to hear all about it. Uh, Jesus came to usher in God's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, they're interchangeable. You hear me, you'll hear, hear me say both of those things. Um, this basically speaks to God's authority and rule on earth. All right? God's authority and rule in your life. He already reigns. We've talked about this so many times, especially coming up when we were talking about conference. Uh, God already exists as the king of the universe, the Lord on the throne. Uh, but you in your life need to recognize uh, that God has that authority. Turn to him and you will benefit. You will experience blessings from uh, turning to him. And John is speaking about this rulership. Now, so many people were looking for a king who was going to come in with robes, a crown maybe, with an army, right, with a political agenda and plan to kick the Roman occupiers out of their holy land. This was what many people were expecting. And so why would I need to repent if the king that is going to lead, like this revolution is coming, why would I need to change my heart and my mind? Because the kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven uh, speaks to God's rulership over everything, but specifically over our hearts. And when we turn from our sin and embrace them in faith, we're considered what? Citizens of heaven. That's the name of our youth ministry for that reason, right? Our citizenship is in heaven and God is our king. But first and foremost, we need to turn from the things that would cause us death. We need to turn and repent from the things that would cause us death. All people want eternal life, right? If I were to ask for a raise of hands, I'm not going to and say, who wants to live forever? They'd be like, yeah, absolutely, right? Who wants to live in eternal paradise one day with everyone they've ever loved who knows Jesus? You're like, absolutely, right? Who, who in this room wants peace and life to the abundance, right? Who wants bread that always satisfies, living water that never goes dry? Who always wants the companionship of the living God amongst them? Everyone in this room should be like, absolutely, I want that. I want this God-sized hole in my heart to be completely filled. Everyone wants that, but not Every single person wants to repent because too many people are convinced that the things that they have on this earth are probably just as good as anything else that God has to offer. And that's where every single person in this room was or is today. If you know Jesus, then you're beyond that. But if you don't quite know Jesus, uh, you're living for your own kingdom. You've maybe convinced yourself, you know, I've got plenty of things that I need right here. I don't know if I need Jesus. I don't know if there's anything wrong with me. What would I need to repent from? Why would I need to repent? And you can make no mistake that the kingdom of God requires repentance for us to change our mind, to turn to Jesus and embrace him in faith. All of us want these things. But are you willing and ready to repent from sins? Or is the sandcastle kingdom that you're building in your own corner of the old, uh, your own world going to be good enough for you forever? Definitely not. 
The Christian life is really simple, but it's really hard to live. The Christian life is very simple, right? But it's really hard to live, right? I'm never, and I never ever want, uh, you know, Christianity to be like this petition that you just signed, right? You talk about people on the street. Um, so many people, it kind of blows my mind. Like you'll go to like a farmer's market or whatever. You're going to do whatever. And people will be like, hey, sign this petition. And it's like, why? Well, we want every single person in the world to have a puppy. And you're like, okay. Yes, that sounds awesome. And they're like, cool, all you need to do is sign here. I'm like, okay, you're telling me that all I have to do to get this operation off the ground, to get every single person in the world a puppy, I just have to sign on the dotted line. They're like, yeah, that's it. Perfect, sign on the dotted line, leave. And then immediately, like, nothing happens, right? Because petitions don't always work. But all this to say, I never want you to think that the Christian life is like that. I'm like, hey, Jesus is awesome. You should embrace him with faith. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be easy. All you got to do is say this little prayer. It's going to be great. The call to a Christian life is a call to repentance. It's a call to change your mind about every single thing that you thought was good. It's a call to change your mind about sin that the world so easily and readily promotes and says, this is the way you should go. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. The Christian life is very simple, but it's not easy. It is a call to embrace Christ and his authority and his rule. Look on at verse 7. So this is what he's doing. He's preaching in the wilderness. He's a uh, radical man who has completely uh, said no to the things of the, the earthly kingdom around them, right? He's living in the wilderness. He's following after God's call. And he has a really interesting encounter with two groups of people that would become uh, very crucial in the, book, uh, in the books of the gospel. And verse 7 says this, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers. All right, next time you're looking for an insult, your brother makes you upset, right? He turns off your Xbox and you're in the middle of a game. Or your mom is, well, don't say that to your mom. Never mind. Only siblings. This only applies to siblings. Your brother's like, can you pause this game? And you're like playing COD online and you're like, I cannot pause an online game. They're like, well, I need you. This is what I want you to say. You brood of vipers. And I just want to see the reaction. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. I don't condone calling people uh, vipers. Because, you know, this is very explicit language. He's like calling them the devil, right? The, the deceiver, the serpent, the vipers. is very sneaky, uh, crafty, uh, evil uh, picture in scripture that these guys would have studied and known. And he calls them a brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Oh, burn. Verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with the unquenchable fire. Our second point tonight is uh, the kingdom of heaven opposes the proud. The kingdom of heaven opposes the proud. Nobody can truly see God's plan for their life. Nobody can truly receive God's message for them. Nobody can truly live in the blessings of knowing Jesus and embracing him in faith and living out in this kingdom of God without being humbled. Every single person in this room who knows Christ 
has been humbled by God. There are a few people in Scripture that God is very adamantly against, right? And you don't want to be on that team. It's people who are proud, right? You could argue the original sin is pride. Did God really say this? Who's to say you can't be like God? It's in our core to want to be proud, to look, of our, look at ourselves as important. But every single Christian in the room must constantly be humbled under, under the awesome power of God to understand that God is the one who gave us our very lives so there's nothing we could say or do uh, to do anything more important than following after him. And nobody truly can understand the plan for, like God has for your life unless you're humbled unless you are constantly uh, humbling yourselves, right? It's not just this thing that happens. It's not just this, some people are humble, some people struggle with pride, right? It is this constant call to humble yourself, to stop looking at yourself as anything more important. And the reason why John is so harsh with these people, the reason why he calls them like possibly the devil is because he sees right through them and he knows all they're there to do is to ridicule what John's doing, to show that they're better than him, to disprove the ministry, of course, of the Holy Spirit, and to uh, promote themselves and try to obtain power. And John sees right through it and says, no. You see, in God's kingdom, humility is key. Humility is key. It's crucial. It's the way that we operate as Christians. None of us ought to look to each other and say, I'm better than you, right? It's all of the New, like New Testament epistles. We must constantly realize uh, that God is so worthy and so awesome, and there's nothing else that we could do other than follow after him. He calls them a brood of vipers. Now look at here. There is strong uh, language. There is strong language here, right? And we'll get to that in a second. He's calling out these people. It goes back to this idea. Maybe the Sadducees and Pharisees thought, you know, I've got the power that I need. I've got the influence that I need. I certainly have the money, the manipulation skills to get whatever I want. Why would I need this kingdom? See, people who are struggling with pride just don't get it. They just don't see it. They don't see it uh, fully in full picture. And I don't want you or I to be distracted uh, by the things of this world, to lose sight of the things that actually matter. I never want you to lose sight of the thing that matters. It's easy to look apart and not play it. It's easy to put a face on Wednesday night and Thursday morning. It looks different, right? But we have to look uh, at these passages and understand that this isn't a group of people that like, oh, look at how stupid they were. We have to constantly be looking at ourselves, all right, through these uh, characters that God is constantly refining, God is constantly calling out because that's what we can struggle with as well. So look at this strong language here. It says this. Even now the axes lay to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now look at verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with the unquenchable fire. This is pretty strong language. And this is accurately speaking about the ministry of Christ. You see, Jesus is both perfectly just and perfectly gracious and merciful. And it would be a disservice for me to ever highlight one or the other of those things. It would be a sin for me to just talk about God's justice. You need to repent, fire and brimstone coming from heaven for you because you don't know how to live your life. That's wrong, wrong, not great, not awesome. But it would also be equally wrong for me to be like, hey, you know what? God loves you, and that's all God is, love. 
And that's it. That's all the Bible seems to say about him on all these pages. He just sounds like a really cool guy that you want to hang out with. Sin? No, that's kind of the social construct. God is cool with whatever. And, and both of those things would be completely wrong. And here in the passage of Scripture, we see uh, fiery, fiery language, like language that's supposed to rile people up. Uh, John isn't talking about cutting down trees specifically, right? He's talking about Jesus coming in and destroying all things that are wrong. And he's talking about all those who have not embraced Christ in faith uh, existing eternally separate from God in a very real place called hell, right? John isn't preaching a different message than Jesus. Jesus doesn't show up and is like, John kind of said all this weird stuff. He is accurately speaking about the ministry of Christ. Verse 12 is pretty confusing. You have to understand this. Uh, the, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, right? This is uh, talking about um, in those days, the threshing floor would have been a space uh, where whoever's harvesting would sift through the good and the bad wheat. The bad wheat was called chaff, and it was too light, and it would just get thrown. And so what farmers would do is they would kind of do this little motion thing. I'm not a farmer, so don't make fun of me. They'd do something like this on the threshing floor, and all the good wheat would stay, and all the bad wheat would fly away and go over to like this corner over here, and then they'd take all that wheat together, and they would burn it. And so there's two references here uh, to eternal separation from God. And it's a scary thing. But we have to understand and recognize that Jesus is perfectly both a perfect judge and a perfect uh, counselor and, and a merciful God. He's not one or the other. I would uh, be wrong to uh, rob you of either of those realities, right? Uh, it would be like if I were to just focus on one or the other, it would be like throwing you into like the middle of the mo like a movie, showing you like 10 minutes in the middle and being like, so what did you think? And you're like, well, I didn't see the beginning. And interestingly enough, I also didn't see the end. So I thought the movie was awful, right? And so if I'm only here telling you about one specific tiny characteristic of God, uh, then I'm doing you a disservice. The reality is Jesus is perfect. And he doesn't, he cannot have uh, unholiness in his presence, right? And none of us are holy. And you're like, well, I'm screwed. And the answer is yes, we are. If we don't have uh, Christ as our substitutionary atonement. It's a fancy way of saying the righteousness that God has been uh, given to his son now belongs to us if we're there with him. And those who aren't will face the consequences in this life and in the life to come. The kingdom of heaven opposes the proud. Only humble people see God's kingdom. Only humble people see it. Only humble people uh, understand it. And so John is coming to speak about the kingdom of God uh, those who uh, find themselves as citizens of heaven will never, ever experience uh, the, 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 the consequences of separation from God, right? Don't let anyone tell you you can lose your salvation. Don't let anyone tell you uh, that, you know, you try really hard, but still you're not good enough to get to heaven. Those who are uh, in Christ will never have to fear language like this. But this is a very real reality. Uh, this should break our hearts for people who don't know Jesus, right? This should break our hearts and make us want to evangelize, to have Christ be known more uh, because of this reality. And John is preparing the way, right? Look at this. There's a reference in verse 3, going back a little bit here, uh, to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah says, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. That's what John's doing. He's speaking much like a prophet would for God, preparing the way of God, having people turn to him or choose to walk away. Now, there's this beautiful, amazing thing that happens here in verse 13. I want you to read along with me. This is our final point here. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee 
to the Jordan and to John to be baptized by him. You read that right. Jesus wants to be baptized by John. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be, bapt- I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The kingdom of heaven brings righteousness. This is Jesus in full righteousness. This is a major theme in the book of Matthew. Righteousness means being right and perfect and powerful and delivering things that are perfect. And Jesus says this must be completed in order for us uh, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was righteousness because we couldn't be. Jesus is righteousness because we can't be. Jesus is righteousness because without him, we wouldn't even understand what righteousness is. And he exists in perfect form here, both fully God and fully man, and he goes to be baptized by John. Look at this humble, just just fully seeing God's kingdom. You come to me, I need to be baptized by you. John's like, no, 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 this is going to go the other way around. You're the savior of the world, right? It's clearly known in this moment. There's something that John senses that uh, Jesus is uh, God. Jesus is king. And Jesus is the one who asks to be baptized by John. It's this beautiful thing that happens. Why would a perfect person need to be baptized? If you're in the room and you've been baptized, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, This is something that believers do. Uh, people who have repented, turned to God, embraced him in faith. One of the first things, if not the first conscious decision you should make as a Christian is I need to be baptized. I need to find a group of people and profess, right? There's nothing magic. There's nothing special. Uh, the, the, uh, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit happens at the moment of repentance, I believe. And so there's nothing special about the waters. But it's only something sinners do. Sinners who now love Jesus and are called to faith in him. Why would a perfect person be baptized? Why would the Son of God, perfectly existing in a human form and understanding and being God himself, need to be baptized? He humbled himself for us so we could live. He humbled himself. He lowered himself down so he could pick us up. He dirtied his hands so he could clean you. He became sin who knew no sin. This is a king who didn't need to get anywhere near that one. Walk down to be with sinners and to be humbled and to show us as an example what we should do when we follow him. He humbled himself for you. He is ushering in his kingdom by stepping down from his earthly, or stepping down from his heavenly throne to be with us. He's baptized to show us the way and to prepare the way that he is ushering in. He has humbled himself so we could live. He's lowered himself to pick us up. He became sin who knew no sin. And the righteousness of God allows us to know him. This is the main idea. Jesus invites us into his kingdom through his righteousness. Through his righteousness, we only can see the kingdom of God. 
We can only know God's rule and authority here on earth, and we can only see uh, the full place called paradise one day through his righteousness alone. There's a few things. What else does the baptism of Christ show us? Well, it shows the full Godhead on display, right? It shows the full, uh, beautiful uh, Trinity on display. We see Jesus, we see the Holy Spirit, and we see God the Father, all in the same moment in time in history. This is very rare. This does not happen. This is very, very, very rare, right? This reminds me of uh, creation. This reminds me of Genesis chapter 1 where God exists equally in three parts. It's a long story. I'd love to tell you about it. I can't give any illustrations because it's a long story. Uh, God exists equally in three parts, and he is there existing and creating the earth, and he is looking on it, and he is pleased. And I think of that, and I think of this story. Now we see here uh, this Holy Spirit of God. So the, uh, we see the Holy Spirit of God. He is poured out on all flesh. The prophet Joel uh, promised that this would happen, Right? We've seen this in the book of Acts. We talked all about the Holy Spirit for months and months at a time in our past uh, book study. That God's Spirit didn't always dwell in people, right? God's Spirit uh, didn't always follow a group of people. Sometimes God's Spirit looked like a pillar of fire, a pillar of smoke, whatever it may be. Uh, And now God's Spirit is resting upon Jesus. And it looks like a dove. It's this beautiful thing, right? Representing peace. Right After the judgment of God is done, we see a dove in the the book of Genesis Uh, in the story of Noah. And now God's judgment, right, exists, but in his perfect peace, we see the Spirit of God. So we see the Spirit of God uh, poured out on flesh, representing what would happen in a few short years. God's Holy Spirit is empowering every single person who embraces him in faith. This is the beginning of the new mission of the Spirit of God. We don't see him dwelling in a tent or a temple anymore. We see God's Spirit indwelling a person, and that's Jesus. Now, make no mistake, Jesus had the power of the Holy Spirit, but this is like, I, I picture this moment. There was no debate that, like, Jesus is God's son, and he's going to do exactly what he says to do. So we see uh, the Spirit. Of course, we see the Son. We see his mission. We see his humility. We see his willingness to be baptized, to show us and to be example of what the kingdom of God actually looked like. And, of course, we see the Father approving the action and affirming his Son. Look at that, the last verse of the night. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, right? Looking out at the earth and he says, this is good. And looking down at his son, the one who was with him when the world was made, the one who existed there with him and saying, this is my son and he is good and I love him. The connection between God and the three distinct parts is love. Imagine how God's heart breaks when we see what happens to Jesus in just a few short years. This is my son that I love. Make no mistake, Jesus is God, and God is Jesus, and God the Father loves Christ. It's his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. So we're going to conclude tonight. We're going to read this passage that's right here at the beginning. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is he who is spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now I kind of read that, and I think in my first kind of like thinking, I'm like, well, God is God. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He can, he can absolutely do anything. He's sovereign all of all creation, why would I need to make God's path straight, right? God could just do whatever. There's nothing inside of me that wants godliness, right? God's doing it all himself. 
That's my first initial reaction. But while he's all-powerful and all-knowing, there's often a work of God that he is ready to do in our hearts, but we are resistant to it. There's oftentimes in our lives moments where God wants to uh, challenge us, change us, uh, to create something afresh, something new in our hearts, and we're resistant. We amp up the sounds of this world, right? Our friends, we, we amp up, I mean, social media, we're on our phones 24-7 constantly, and we are tuning up the things of this world, and we are tuning out God's voice. And so I read this passage, and I see this passage, prepare the way for the Lord. How many times is there moments in life where God is ready and willing and wanting to do something in our lives, but we are not ready to listen, and we are not ready to obey? Because the reality is, God does this, right? He completes his earthly mission. He does exactly what God the Father wanted to him, and it happens, and it's perfect, but only a few people listen to him. Only a few people listen. Only a few people in this room may listen. And my question to you is, are you ready? For whatever God wants to do in your heart and in your life, are you ready and willing to listen to what he is calling you to do? Are you too proud, too preoccupied, too like drowned out in the noise and the clutter to listen to God's voice, to listen to God's word and to receive where his mission and where he's calling you to? A passage like this reminds me that God obviously made a way, but only a few people embraced him. And my question is, are you willing to embrace him and prepare for whatever he does in your life? Are you willing to embrace him in faith and do and prepare for whatever it is that he wants to do in your life? Or are you pretty satisfied with the way things are going? That's a choice you have to make. I can't make that choice for you. Preparation for the Lord to do something in your life requires repentance. Preparing God to work and move in your life requires repentance from sin, humility, and a willingness to embrace the righteousness of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. We've seen it here in this, cha in this chapter, but the question is, are you ready? If he calls, will you answer? If he's convicted you, will you listen? And if he challenges you, will you submit? Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful for you. I understand there's many people in the room who uh, need, oh God, all of us need you to work in our lives. God, all of us need you in our lives more clearly, more specifically than any of us could imagine, right? We don't want just uh, to know that we're saved and to say, all right, that's good enough for me. God, we want you guiding us, directing us. We want to prepare our hearts for whatever it is that you want us to do, so help us to repent. If there's sins we're holding on to, help us to repent. God, if there's things that need to change, would you show us and would we change from them? God, I want there to be passion coming from the hearts of these young people. I want there to be passion coming from my heart. I want there to be a fervence and a, and a, a, a love and a passion that flows from our hearts. But God, only you can do that. I can't convince them. I can't show them that you're good enough. God, you need to be the one who comes in to do this. So God, help us not to be resistant. When you're preparing a way, when you're preparing a way to do things that only you can do, help us to get out of the way. And if we're in the way, God, would you just break us down? For the person in the room who's stubborn and kind of crosses their arms at youth ministry and thinks, I'm here to hang out with my friends, would you break them down and would they prepare a way? God, we're thankful that you do these things. But we ask you to do that. 
God, I pray that as we prepare for camp, as we understand that something special happens at camp when we put away distractions and we listen to your word. It's funny how that happens, God. I help us to prepare for that. Help us to truly uh, embrace what it is that you're doing in our hearts and lives, God. We love you. We're thankful for your son. We're thankful that your ministry on earth has changed our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing another song. And I like this song. We started a couple weeks ago. It's a new one. We, it's a new one, right? Yeah, okay, cool. I just want to double check. I've been wrong before when I've gone and explained a song and the band had to change it last second. It's a long story. Uh, this song talks about God loving our souls, right? And um, there's so many times in life that my soul doesn't quite feel lovable. Uh, the true part of me doesn't feel like awesome or worthy to be praised by God, but because of Jesus' righteousness, uh, God loves us. And he loves our souls no matter what. So why don't you stand to your feet right now? We're going to sing this.